You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Anyways, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle. They have a Bible in their hand. Just wave at them and they'd be happy to give you a or lend you a Bible, but if you don't have one and you would like one, at the end of the service, head out to the lobby area and just uh, ask the people at the desk there that you would like a Bible and they'd be happy to give you one. All we ask is that you keep it for yourself and that you read it. And um, that Take uh, your worship folder, also open up. There's another uh, insert called He is Alive. We're looking at different theories about Jesus' resurrection. Some say it didn't happen and these are some of the theories and how to uh, it, the little points in here disprove that, but I encourage you to read that. Ron Degatano has been writing those each week. And as Lance mentioned, that prayer request is really valuable to us. Do uh, include that in there. But then take out your outline and just take your pen and write 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we're all set and on the right page together this morning. I also encourage you to grab some of you. I saw grabbing this as you walked in. We have a study guide that we give out every week. And the reason we do that is so you can take it home and, and do the study. Many of our life groups meet with us. If you're not in a life group, we'd love you to be in a life group. If you want to try one out, there's one that meets on Tuesday right here at the church. I, I help lead that, and, and we have a great time together. I encourage you to come at 7 o'clock on Tuesdays. But what's great about the study sheet is on the back is all of the fill-in-the-blank answers and all the extra verses on there. And you can probably see from here, there's a lot of extra verses because I'm going through it today. Woo! So get ready, hang on, and we're going to have a great time together this morning. So I'm glad that you're here. You know, I don't know how many of you remember the controversy of what color is this dress? Do you remember that? Hit the internet a while back ago. Uh, What happened was is that somebody posted this picture on the internet and people began to be divided. Uh, Go ahead to the next slide. It says, you know, what, what color is it? How many of you see, what color do you see? Some of you see blue and black? Some of you see that? Some of you see white and gold? Yeah, it, it's, it was a, a tremendous controversy. And, and, but the, the question is, what really is the truth? What's really the truth about this dress? Is because is it your perception? Or is there some other way? Uh, they tried popular opinion and the nation was divided. I remember I was watching, a, I was at the gym early morning, and I was watching the news, and one of the persons says, no, it's blue and black. And he goes, I can't believe how you can see this. It's white and gold. What's wrong with you? And she goes, no, it's blue and black. No, it's white and gold. And it actually divided the nation. So they decided they would uh, look to the authorities. <clears throat> they, uh, neuroscientists looked at this, uh, uh, trying to understand why we see things differently. Color experts looked at it. Photo experts looked at it. Finally, the people who actually made the dress had the hues checked out. And it has been authenticated. It has been verified. It has been true pr- proven that it is definitely blue and black. It is. It's definitely blue and black. And I, I, I couldn't believe it because I'm still seeing white and gold. <laughs> and, and, but it's interesting. Was when I pushed it up on my screen, I saw blue and black. It's just something different. Now, there are scientific reasons why we see it differently. But it, the authentic, verifiable, proven truth is that this dress is blue and black. And yet some <clears throat> say, I don't believe it. <laughs> and I'm going to keep, <clears throat> they want to keep their perception and that's the truth for them. Even though it's proven, authenticated that this is blue and black. So what is truth? Only what we perceive or what we hold as an authority? 
Or is there a truer truth? Jesus said something very interesting about truth in John 8, 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But what is the truth? Again, Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But how do we know Jesus is the truth? Is it just our perception, or can we apply the, <clears throat> the same test to the color of the dress? And what do we do with this truth? Well, the Apostle Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 10, he gave us three validations of the truth of Jesus to live by. That Jesus is authentic. Uh, for an authority, that the word of God endorses him. And not only that, the authority, the fact that he rose from the grave authenticates him. Jesus is verifiable. Eyewitnesses saw him very much alive after he was dead and validated the resurrection which validates him. Jesus is proven. Evidence of his influence is seen and changed lives all over the world and still happens today. And so this morning, I'd like for us to explore this passage and see how we are revived by the true truth, the truth of the resurrected Jesus. And I want you to get into this. So let's, before we do, take your books and set them aside and stand up and let's pray and ask God to challenge us this morning. He's got something for you today, and I know it. Father, thank you that we can be together this morning and be challenged by your word. Lord, do something in our hearts. Challenge us like we've never been challenged before. Open us up to Holy Spirit, which you want us to gain this morning, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat. Get out your outline and jot down these things. Again, if you don't have the, uh, can't write really fast, grab the study sheet. You can get these verses later, but do look them up later. But let's launch into this. Uh, three validations of the truth of Jesus to live by. The, uh, Paul first points to Jesus is the authenticated authority. That's the word that you write in there, the word authority in your notes. And let's look at that first, if I can get my code on here. There we go. <clears throat> Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, let's start out with verse 1. Now I, that's Paul talking, <clears throat> would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are now being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe it in vain. Paul's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the good news, the truth of Jesus. That gospel truth tells us that truly we are sinful people. The Bible makes it clear that, that, that we have been bought into a lie of life, and that lie of life says that you know, everything's fine, you don't need God, nothing else, and Jesus came to say, no, 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 you don't get it. That's the, the truth is that you are sinful, head towards a different direction, but I have come to give you and help you embrace the truth. That we're all sinful and that we need a Savior because that sin will pull us down in life and it will actually lead us into a way that's very, very difficult in life and, and in hell. And Jesus says, as coming as the truth, says, no, I want to tell you the truth, that God loves you and has an awesome plan for your life and wants you to live under his guidance and life lived his way. That's the truth. And in that, there's an abundant life for you, a life that is thriving. And, and yes, difficult times will happen, but yet it's a life that has purpose and meaning and significance. And all of that, that's the truth that he came to give. And that's the gospel that Jesus came uh, to, to lead us into truth. And save us from the lie that we're okay, that not sick with sin. And Jesus also saves us from the lie that, that this is as good as it gets in life. 
the lie that we have to earn salvation, and he came to save us as believers, and, and to understand that we can't earn our spiritual growth or earn acceptance or earn forgiveness or earn significance or earn belonging. That's a lie to say that we have to earn that because he just gives it to us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. Grace is, a, is an unmerited favor. Just because Jesus wants to, he says, hey, I understand where you're headed in life. And I'm going to give you the truth. You don't have to do anything for it. You simply believe. And that belief is embracing the truth. What we talked about a little bit last week in Galatians 3, verses 1 to 6, where Paul writes the Galatian believers, and he says, oh, you foolish Galatians, don't you know that you can't earn your salvation and you can't earn spiritual growth by works? And so he says to us, oh, you foolish Cyprians, I figured out how to say that now. Cyprians, you can't earn growth. Believe it and you will receive, you will begin to grow mysteriously and automatically as the Spirit works in your heart. 1 John, or excuse me, John 1, 12, those who believe he gave the right to belong to him, to be part of his forever family, not by anything we do, by simply the, the choice to believe. See, to believe is to trust in the truth and live by the truth based on that authentic authority, that authentic truth. So I have a question for somebody. Does somebody have a wallet with them this morning? You have a wallet? <clears throat> can, I, can I just have it? <laughs> wow. He just handed me his wallet. Why in the world did he do that? Because there's nothing in it. <laughs> <nothing. laughs> but there is credit cards in here, my friend. All yeah. <laughs> He jumped up and handed me the wallet. Now, I'm not sure exactly why you did that, but thank you. Can I hang on for a while? Yeah, see, that's it. Did you hear what he just said? He said, I trust you. Now, there's probably a reason why he trusts me. One is probably because he knows that I've been here for a while. I've been a pastor here for about 10 years plus, and I've had a level of integrity with uh, that I've been here. I haven't stolen anybody else's wallet, at least that you know of. And I've been fairly honest. And so based on that authenticated authority, he was willing to hand over one of the precious things he has in life. Now, I know that Steve doesn't hold money that precious, but at least he was willing to to let me use it as an illustration. So thank you, brother. You can have it back. Yeah, you can give him a hand on that. Others of you are going, oh my gosh, the preacher's asking for the wallets now. We just had the offering for crying out loud. Some of you who are guests are going, see, I knew it. The church is all about money. <laughs> but he was willing to give up the wallet, give it up, because he, there was a trust there. In the same way, we need to give up that trust, our life to Jesus. Now, if, 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 if uh, he was in a dark parking lot, maybe over at Stater Brothers, and somebody he did not know said, hey, can I hold your wallet? What would he do? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) Back away. (laughs) Let's read on. Verse 3. For I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Yes, Jesus 
is that authenticated authority because yes, he did fulfill all of the prophecies that were given about him in the Old Testament. Now you can read about, I listed some of those in the, in the study guide, but if you just do a little Google search on uh, prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, you will see there are hundreds that Jesus fulfilled. But that's not quite talking about this because even though he did fulfill his prophecies and they are uh, authenticating Jesus as sovereign, as Lord, as Messiah, as Savior, as King, as God. But the wording in accordance with Scripture, as as N.T. Wright, a phenomenal uh, 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 theologian and and, uh, commentator said about this, that that as N.T. Wright says, it looks back on the whole story of Scripture, the whole narrative of Scripture. That Jesus is the, uh, uh, in accordance with Scripture, he is, the, he is the answer to the whole story of the Bible. That God created, God, this awesome, incredible, amazing, uh, uh, sovereign, Lord High King, God of everything, chose to create the universe. Wham! And it happened. And, and then he created this little planet called Earth, and he created the land and the sea and the birds and the fish, and then he decided, ooh, I'm going to make this being in my own image. And he created mankind, breathed life into mankind, and then made woman and said, go and and enjoy life. But the problem is, very early in the story, is that man bought into the lie, to lie of the deceiver, and fell. And because of that, all men fall, all women fall, all people fall, and the world has been falling apart ever since. There was a huge separation now between sinful man and holy God. And yet, as you read on the story of Scripture, God is working His way through history to provide a Redeemer, someone to bring us back to God, to deal with our sin problem that blocks us from God And that's why Jesus came. The the Old Testament tells about God. The New Testament shows about God's story of his Redeemer and and shows us uh, Jesus coming, this Messiah who will take away the sins of the world and and provide for us. And and when he paid that penalty on the the cross, he he dealt with our sin. And how we benefit from that is is that belief, that, that grasping a hold of that truth and living by that truth. And then we become saved and then we are even now Part of the story is our restoration, our growth, or another biblical word for that is sanctification. It's the story of Jesus, that he is the one who redeems and restores, not us. Nothing of our actions does that, yet we benefit. The Bible is not about us. It isn't. It's all about Jesus. The authoritative word of God is about Jesus, who born of man, lived among us, taught us, was crucified for us, raised from the dead, revived to show us that we might be revived. Not our efforts, but by his grace and power at work in us. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. All scripture says this to be true. The question is, do we really believe it to be true? How do you know? We know we believe by giving him that highest affection. We base life on his truth. Just like the wallet, we hand him our life because we say, go. Whatever you want to do with it, you do with it. We give him our whole life, our heart, 
all of us. And when we do, we grow. We change. There is evidence of that change. Fruit. We act more like Jesus every day, conformed to his image. As Romans 8 talks about, that we are constantly being conformed to the image of Christ. But yet, what if we see different evidence? Evidence in our life that's not like Jesus. What do we do? We should first look to what we are not letting Jesus' authenticated authority be truth to us. Let's say that we are wrought with fear. Fear enters our life and we're very afraid. What's the truth of Jesus we need to grab a hold of? Well, 1 John 4.18 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected by love, has not grasped a hold really truly of God's love. What's God's love? Take your Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 4. It's just a few verses uh, up from that verse I just read, verse 8. 1 John 4, verse 8. It says this, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. See, the evidence of really grasping a hold of God's love is that you love. Here it is. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent His only Son, that's Jesus, into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's love. We need to trust in that truth of love, that Jesus loves us considerably. God loves us amazingly. He didn't want to stay us in that, 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 that lie, lifeless state. He wanted to provide the truth to us. And it came at a great sacrifice to him for his son. And when we celebrate communion in just a little while, we understand and, and remind ourselves of that sacrifice, that Jesus went to the cross. Easter wasn't that far away. Scourged, beaten, crown of thorns, nailed to a cross. He went through that for us. That's love. There is no one who has sacrificed greater for you than Jesus. That's love. Grasp a hold of that love. If somebody loves you that much, why are you afraid? Perfect love. That, that grasping a hold of the truth of God's love should fill your life and push back the fear from you. So when you're afraid... Grasp harder onto that truth. Let that truth continually soak into you. Jesus will not fail you. Yes, we will struggle. But even in that, His love is being worked out in us and we are growing. You can write down James 1, verses 1 to 4. Consider it pure joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith, these awful things that happen to you are there to help you produce endurance in you, that God is going to use them. Romans 8, 28, those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, the good is not your good. It's going to be easy and wonderful and smooth. <laughs> but it's for the good of God that you be more conformed to his image. And sometimes that the best way to do that is through trial. 
and the good is our growth to be more like Jesus. We need not fear, but trust in the truth, the authenticated authority of Jesus as that truth. Now, in this process, some idols may be exposed, like the idol of control or self. We are to replace it by yielding control to Jesus, Lord, Master, God. Let Him have that control of our life. We give them that control by constantly submitting and surrendering to Him. It's a process. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Trust in Him. But this is the, the wrestling in prayer that's talked about. As a matter of fact, this summer we're going to do a whole series on prayer. And part of that's that wrestling prayer, working these things out with God. It's not all of a sudden automatic, woo, I just no fear. <laughs> it, it's a process of grasping a hold of that. Jesus is the authenticated authority. Believe in him. Hand him your life. Trust in him and watch him transform you. It will be amazing. That's the truth. The truth is authenticated by an authority and also truth is verifiable. And Jesus is the verifiable redeemer. Go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, looking now at verse 5 through 7. After Paul had talked about Christ paying the penalty for his sins on the cross and being raised on the third day, he says... And that, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. And then to the twelve, that's the twelve without Judas. Judas was gone. They, they elected Matthias to be in there. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. It's not like it was some mystery thing. It was at one time, 500 people saw Jesus very much alive. And most of them are still alive. When Paul was writing this, there were people saying, yeah, I saw Jesus. And though some have fallen asleep, have have gone to be with the Lord in heaven. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. The resurrection of Jesus is verifiable reality, is a verifiable reality, for there were eyewitnesses. It's not some hopeful dream or some hoax uh, the disciples pulled off. Loads of people saw Jesus die on the cross. His death was verified by the Romans. They did not make mistakes like that. If you want to look at that, John chapter 19, verses 31 to 38, speak to this. He was not nearly dead. He was truly dead. The, the spear thrust in his side and the, the, the medical uh, reality of the blood separating in the water in, the, the, in our blood system happened and he was dead. Hundreds of people saw that. And yet hundreds of people saw him very much alive. And spoke of that, even under the threat of death themselves, it was validated by eyewitnesses. In a court of law, eyewitness is important. That trumps all kinds of things. Even when we're hearing news reports, like the, the news from Nepal, the, the tragedy that's there, we want to see it. The eyewitness it. And in those who have been there, they come back and they tell their story, and it's even more understandable then. One eyewitness, Peter, is mentioned. Peter, because he had struggled with mixed, mixing his perspective or his perceptions, his ideals of what faith should be with Jesus' teaching, we do the same. Peter tried to thwart Jesus' path to the cross in Matthew 16, and we do that all the time as well. We think that we actually have to do more stuff to counteract our sin. That's thwarting Jesus' path to the cross. Because let me tell you something, when Jesus died for our sin, it's enough. 
There's no more penance or no more things that you need to do to say, well, I need to account for this sin. It's already accounted for, all of it. Jesus' death is enough. Peter wanted to join the zealots in the, in the physical fight and brought a sword to the garden. Remember that when he lopped off the guy's ear in John chapter 18? See, Peter tried to add to, to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is enough. We don't need to add to Jesus. We need to add something to our life to, to make us grow better. The Holy Spirit's enough. He will actually do a work in our life if we actually grip a hold of him and trust him. Peter flat out denied Jesus three times in John 18 and we do the same thing every time we sin. Because we say, not your way, God. I'm gonna do my own thing. God says, tell the truth. I'm gonna lie just to protect my image. (laughs) Yet Jesus appeared to Peter in John 21 and Peter encounters the risen Jesus and Peter is forever changed. Not from anything Peter did, but the verifiable truth that Jesus is our Redeemer. The question is, have you? Have you encountered Jesus, the risen Jesus, and and grasped a hold of the truth of that He is real? We have all these eyewitness accounts of that. We have way more than Peter ever had. Paul mentions James too, the half-brother of Jesus, who thought Jesus was crazy. Mark 3.21, his family was going, man, Jesus is crazy. We got to get him out of here. (laughs) We do the same thing. Jesus really died for our sin? Oh, come on. This Bible stuff isn't all that true. It's just a bunch of nonsense. And yet, on seeing Jesus alive, it verified to James that he had heard, at, at, at all that Jesus is teaching that he had heard in, the, in God's story and, and of, him, of Jesus being our Redeemer, he grasped a hold of that truth and came to believe. He even led the church in Jerusalem and wrote the Bible book of James. The fact that James believes and Peter believes and over 500 people saw Jesus alive after his death is enough. And yet the movement Jesus started way back then, so many years ago, is still moving. Millions are stepping into faith all over the world. Right now, most specifically in Africa and China and India and all over Asia. The sad reality is that church in America has been in decline for a long time, but it's coming back. People are actually starting to wake up And realize that we're living not in a Christian nation. We're living in a pagan nation just like every other nation. And we have the opportunity, believers like you are coming alive and say, I want to share the message of Jesus with my family and friends. Jesus is the verifiable redeemer. And when we believe and trust in him, our lives change. See, the question isn't isn't that if Jesus is powerful enough. The question is, do we trust him enough? This is the mystery of God. The miracul- he miraculously grows us and develops us as we talked last week in Ephesians 3.16 that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. When we trust in him, truly trust in him, the change begins to start. It doesn't happen by just simply swelling our head through of knowledge. But when we trust in that verifiable truth, Then growth happens. Our faith, like James, like Peter, it grows. And yet, when we observe aspects in our life that are not in line with Jesus and what he taught, we should look deeper to the deeper issue that we're not trusting the verifiable Redeemer for. Like in the area of insecurity and inadequacy, feeling like a failure or a loser or worthless. I know I've struggled with this all my life. 
Sure, my life circumstances brought me to that point, growing up in the family I did and the struggles I had. But still, I need to trust into the verifiable truth of the Redeemer. That's why I love 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says this, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, our works, our efforts, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, of us doing our efforts on our own, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives lives. Our adequacy does not come from what we do. It is inputted, imputed into us through the Spirit as we believe. Boy, if there's anything I could challenge you to grasp a hold of that, grasp a hold of that truth. It's been imputed into you. Because of what Jesus has done, this is true. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the verifiable truth. Believe it. And you will be changed. Again, it's not a, a pro, it, it, again, it's a process as, that, that, that we grow, as we grow, continuing to know Jesus more and more and more. And that means we choose and grasp a hold of him and believe, trusting in that verifiable truth, that authenticated authority. And issues of idols will be exposed, like the idol of power. We want to be in control. And yet the truth is, Jesus is the high, holy, sovereign Lord God Almighty. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That means the whole thing. That means even you. Your bank account, God's. Your car, God's. Your house, God's. Your kids, God's. (laughs) You're saying, yeah, they can have them. (laughs) Philippians 2, 9. Every knee will bow Every tongue will confess the name that is above all names, that Jesus is Lord. And the, re- and the reality is, He is Lord. Regardless of our perception, He still is. And when we tear down the idol of power and self and surrender to His Lordship, life aligns. That's why I love this verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things and his righteousness and all the things that we worry about will get into their place when we grasp a hold of him and trust him as Lord, when we grip a hold of our verifiable redeemer and see him as Lord, we change. Jesus is the truth, the authenticated authority, the verifiable redeemer. Jesus also is the proven restorer. Jesus as the proven restorer is most clearly seen in the evidence in the changed life of the apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who went from Pharisee to follower of Jesus. Look at what he writes in here. He says, after he mentions um, Peter and James and all the apostles, he says, last of all, verse 8, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. And if you want to write down Acts chapter 9, that's his big Damascus Road conversion experience. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Yes, he did. He actually murdered people. If you want to know that, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Talks about he is, there he was holding the coats as Stephen was being stoned. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, not in, on works, yet through it was not I, but grace, the grace of God within me. See, Paul understood his depravity. He understood his sinfulness. Matter of fact, in, in Romans 7 to 4, he said, wretched man that I am. Paul got the idea of Isaiah's truth in Isaiah 64, 6, where he says, our, our works are like filthy rags. Our deeds, are, our, our righteousness are like filthy rags. Our actions, not even, even the good ones, don't add anything or make us more right. It is only by the power of God that we are changed from the inside out. That doesn't mean we keep on doing wrong things or we, we stop doing the good things. No, obedience is important. But you can do all the right things and still not be letting God's grace and love affect you. That's exactly what Paul did when he was a Pharisee. He did all the right things, but he never truly trusted in the Lord. His heart was not changed because Paul was under that if-then economy. If I do this right, God will bless me. If I do this wrong, God will punish me. That's not God's economy. We are saved and grow and are changed by the Spirit's work in our heart by God's grace just because He wants to, because He's given that blessing. And yes, disobedience quenches the Spirit, and there are natural and social consequences to sin, but that's... So it's best for us to follow God's standards, but they do not save us or grow us. It's not that I don't... What it is, it's that I don't depend upon my actions to save me or grow me or to change me, but I depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit in me, given by grace. And when we come to faith, we're like the fruit trees. This is, a, this is an apple tree. You know how I know it's an apple tree? There's apples right there. Also, there's a sign here that tells me it's an apple tree. <laughs> there's fruit in our life as believers because there is evidence of that. Stuff is shown out. But I also can read in the Bible that it says that we have the Spirit in us. That's the truth. That's the reality. And if there is no fruit on the tree, there's no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's not the, it's not the, the fact that the, the, the tree is defaulty. It's the fact that it's, we're not in the right environment. We're not really trusting in Christ enough because the, tr- the truth is the tree's made to grow fruit. Some mystical, magical thing, boom, pops out an apple. How does that happen? From a little tiny seed. That's the, the miracle of God. Same way in us. I can't... Oh, come on! Ah, push out an apple! I can't make it. I can't you know, take an apple and tape it on there. Okay, look at that. But that's what we try to do. We try to earn our own salvation. We try to earn our own spiritual growth instead of letting the natural flow out of us by trusting in Jesus. Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in me both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The changed life of Paul and others, these are all proofs Jesus is true, the true restorer of our soul. Believe it. Stand on this truth and, and fruit will come. I don't know what color the dress you saw. For your perception doesn't change the truth. Nor does your perception of Jesus change the truth. He is the true sovereign Lord, owner, master of all. Jesus is the authenticated authority. We are to believe and embrace that truth. Jesus is the verifiable redeemer. 
We are to believe and embrace this truth. Jesus is the proven restorer. We're to believe and embrace this truth. That's how we're saved. That's how we grow. The question is, will you grasp a hold of that truth? Some of you, you may need to grasp a hold of that for the first time. To finally in your life say, okay, I get it. I need Jesus as my Savior. I've been bought into the lie of life. I need to live God's way. I, I love the story. I don't know how many of you saw the fight. And the, the fight of, of uh, Manny Pacquiao and uh, Money <laughs> or uh, May, May, Mayweather. Um, I keep on saying it's Mayflower, but it's Mayweather. But you want, I, I wanted Pacquiao to win just because he's a believer. But he had lived the lie for so long and finally came to faith and realized that his life had a better purpose. Unfortunately, money feels like, he, he, what did he say in an interview last night? He said, money isn't the only thing, it's everything. What a sad reality. Because it's going to dry up one day. But Jesus never dries up. <laughs> but sometimes money wins. That's the reality of life. But it doesn't change the truth. The truth is Jesus is the truth. He's the way. And some of you need to grab a hold of him. Others of you have been Christians for a long time. You're trying to tape on some apples. Because for some reason, you won't trust truly in Jesus' words. You've got to want to add something to it. It's time to really trust him. And communion is a great opportunity for this. Because communion is a, is a time we're reminded of, of all the truth of the story of God that we have a Redeemer who loves us completely. Jesus, who is our Redeemer, who paid the penalty for us when He died on the cross. And these elements, they remind us of that. They were taken out of a a very um, wonderful ceremony, uh, the the ceremony of Passover, which talks of the Redeemer because as as Israel was taken out of Egypt, they were redeemed. Moses brought them out of this slavery this lie of life of slavery. And, and they always wanted another redeemer to come. And Jesus is that redeemer. He came and he, he, he lived among us. And then through his sacrifice, we now have life as we base our life on his truth. And we do that by accepting it. And so there's elements in communion. Matter of fact, those who are helping with communion, if you get to the tables right now, because we're going to go right into the communion in a moment. But uh, um, there's elements. There's a, there's a bread and that was taken out of the Passover meal, speaking the bread of redemption. It was supposed to be a, a sustenance of life, this bread. It had to be made in haste, and so it was unleavened and uh, didn't have any yeast in it. And it was a reminder that, that redemption is coming. And Jesus broke the bread and said, I am the bread of life. He is our redeemer. And when you take that bread, you're reminded of Christ is our redeemer. And, it, and be reminded again of the sacrifice he went through. Take on to the cross, beaten, scourged, uh, hung, died an awful death for us. But now we have a new relationship with God. And so Jesus picked up a cup in this Passover Seder. It's the, the cup of redemption. And, and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant, a new relationship between God and man. And that new covenant is a covenant of grace. For by grace you've been saved. He offers us the truth of Jesus. But we have to reach out and believe it. That means to trust in the truth. Trust in the truth that he is right. Trust in the truth that we're going to live that way. 
And that's the new covenant. And when we drink that, we're reminded of the, the newness as, it, as the freshness trickles down our throat, the, the, the fresh reality that Christ is our Savior. And so because of these elements, it's important that we are right with God <laughs> and, and that we know God. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet made that decision of faith to truly believe, all you have to do is reach out your hand and trust and say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinful person. I know that you are a redeemer and I trust in you that your work on the cross was enough to pay the penalty for my sin and now I'm gonna do the best I can to live life your way, following your rules and obedience. And if that's for you, then just in a moment, in this quiet moment, you can pray that. And I encourage you, if you do, I'm gonna ask you to do something brave. Write your contact information and come give me just the card. We don't have to chat right away. We can, I'll email you or something like that, but I'd love to know that. The rest of you who know the Lord, renew that trust in Him. Take a moment. Maybe confess some of those idols that have been exposed as we've been going along and grab a hold of Him anew. Our custom in here is that we have uh, two stations up front and then two stations in the back. And when you come, and I want, we're gonna, I'm going to lead you in prayer, and then you can take some time to pray. And then when you're ready, you come and collect both a cracker and a cup. Hang on to it till all have been served. And then I'm having uh, a couple of our elders, uh, Bo Prum and uh, Robert Matthews, to come up, and they're going to lead us in the cup and in the, and in the, uh, in the bread as they come up. But uh, let's take this time in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the way that you... <laughs> have made it so easy for us to believe. We just have to reach out and to uh, grasp a hold of the truth of what Jesus, you have done. Nothing that we've done. Lord, I'm praying for that one or two this morning that needs to take that first decision that in this moment, Holy Spirit, you will just descend upon them and draw them into your presence. And Lord, I'm asking those believers here, Lord, there are some here who have been trying to earn their spiritual growth or they really haven't trusted in you. This whole faith thing has been just kind of a addendum to life. God, today I pray that they would just take that time with you and recommit their life to you and to truly trust in you as Savior and as Lord, as the authority in their life. Work during this time, Lord. And as we take these elements, may they be so meaningful. We pray this in your Son's name.